It's my testimony. December 22nd, 1990, the Lord saved me. It was a Thursday night. It was cold. And the wind was blowing, and there's a little snow mixed in. And we was in the cemetery on the top of a mountain when the Lord saved me. And I, rem I remember it, Brother Johnny. I was thinking about it while they was singing. I remember it like it was yesterday. But I want to say this. If I should ever forget it due to some terrible disease that cripples my mind, he will never forget the day that he saved me. He'll never forget it. He wrote it down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I read in the book of the Revelation where those books that are to be opened in that final day, those final days are sealed. Nobody can get in there to take my name out, so should I? And I have talked to people who said, I, I know I'm saved, but I don't remember the date. I don't remember what day it was, and, but I know I'm saved. Well, he's got all that recorded. Should we forget that? But I'm glad I remember my day. I am. I'm glad. And uh, I remember talking to George Butts. And uh, right before he died, and George said he really didn't know how old he was because he went for a long period of time with no birth certificate. He didn't know really what day he was born, and he wasn't real sure what year he was born. When they finally got him a birth certificate, it wasn't exactly right. It was just kind of handwritten, so he wasn't sure of his birthday. And I didn't look at George and say, well, George, you've not ever been born because you don't know what day is your birthday. I couldn't say that because he's physically standing in front of me and the evidence was given he had been born. And many people possess the evidence without knowing the exact day. And, uh, but I'm glad the Lord knows. And I'm glad I have been given the ability to remember as most of you have and we can sing that song and rejoice because we remember the day. Many of you remember the spot. You can take me to the spot. I probably could get you within five or ten feet of the spot uh, where I got saved. But again, I'm glad the Lord knows all about that stuff. Well, he knows. Amen. Now, he didn't have to pull. 
all things works all things for his glory somehow some way and uh, we don't always understand that but he will he will work all things to his glory and I bless his name for that Ephesians chapter number five you'll find our text this morning Ephesians chapter number five I do want to uh, take this message today and somewhat tie it together with last Sunday morning's message that I preached. The Lord has nudged my heart this direction, and I feel like that this is how he would have us to go. I want to read you several verses this morning, and uh, we'll try to be as brief as the Lord will allow us to be. Beginning in verse number 8 of Ephesians chapter number 5, I'll kind of give you a quick update. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus uh, has instructed them, and by the way, chapter number 5 is a continuation of chapter number 4. Paul is talking about how to walk in the Lord, walking right. And uh, he has given all kinds of negatives uh, as far as putting on the new man. And when I say negatives, he has talked to them about the things that they need to put off, the negatives that they need to put off and put away from them. And uh, as we come to chapter number 5, he is going to continue those thoughts about being followers of God as dear children, as being the favorites of those that want to please their father, those that are interested in, in being the good kid. You know, it, there's times in your life growing up that uh, you don't want to be labeled as the goody two-shoes and you do those little things here and yonder to try to show the world that you've got a little rebel in you. But then there are some that that just love being good. Those would be dear children. And it doesn't matter what the world says about them, they're just dear children. And that's how Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus to walk. And as we come to our text in verse number 8, he reminds those that are believers, for ye were sometimes in darkness. He said, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, 
but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, I do thank you once more this morning for the reading of your word. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here in church today, to be able to stand in this place to proclaim your word. I pray you'd help us for a little while to preach those things you'd have to be said this morning. I pray they'd find their ways to the hearts of those listening. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. I pray, God, that you would burn a desire in us, Lord, for you, for your word, for a living a life pleasing unto you, for walking in light rather than darkness. Burn those things in our hearts this morning. Father, we'll give you honor and praise when all these things are accomplished, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. The text this morning, as we've already said, is a continued thought from chapter number four. It is a continuing thought on how to walk, uh, how to walk as other Gentiles walk. It is instruction on how a born-again child of God should walk or live on a daily basis. Many different commands are given to those that are at Ephesus in this book, and I say commands because oftentimes we get caught up in thinking that there are only ten commandments in the Bible that we are to live by. There are many commandments given right here in the text that I have read to you this morning and throughout the entire Bible, commandments that we are to do, not suggestions, uh, not things that, uh, that we should uh, uh, think might be right and do them or hope that they're right, but they are commandments, and commandments are the will of God. Things that He has commanded us to do are His will for our lives. I just want to say this in passing, I'm not preaching on the will of God this morning, but I do want to say this. You do not have to look for the will of God. It is written in His Word. It is not something we have to search for. It is not something we have to pray about doing. It is written in His Word, and as believers, we are to do the will of God. Amen. That's right. And, uh, but I want to preach this morning, if the Lord would help us, in these verses with verse number 14 and 15 uh, and 16 being our text verses this morning. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. In chapter 5, these opening verses tell us 
to walk in love. Tell us to walk as Christ has loved us. If we are to walk as Christ loved us, we are to walk with forgiveness in our hearts. We are to walk with understanding in our hearts, with compassion in us. I'm reminded that Christ looked at the children of Israel. He looked at Jerusalem and the Bible said he wept. He wept when Lazarus died. He wept when he looked over the nation of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem. He wept when he saw their hearts and the hardness of them. He had compassion on them as sheep having no shepherd, the Bible says. Christ had compassion on people. And Paul said that a believer should walk in love, walking that way that Christ Loved us. He loved us to the point of giving himself, and we ought to be willing uh, to give ourselves. Those uh, that are born again should be more than willing uh, to walk and live lives for him that he would be pleased with. I believe that we live in a day where Christians are too worried about pleasing other Christians rather than pleasing God the Father. We worry too much about pleasing other Christians and we are not pleasing the Father. Last week I preached and I did just a quick survey on Wednesday night and many come to me after church and said, Preacher, I've thought about it and I do remember what you preached last Sunday morning, but I preached last Sunday morning on commitment and who or what it is that we are truly Uh, committed to and uh, as we come here we ought to be more than willing to live a life uh, that would please the Lord that our commitment uh, would be toward Christ uh, uh, more than it's toward anything else there certainly should be a commitment to the church there certainly uh, should be commitment uh, to your position in the church but above commitment to all of those things uh, should be our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the fact that he uh, showed his love in that he died for us. It is a commitment that many have failed in. But in these verses today, I want to try and demonstrate how that commitment will lead us will lead us, lead our lives into areas that maybe we have never been before. As the reader moves through these verses, we certainly see a reminder to the church that we are children of light. Children of light. So therefore, verse 8 is the text, children of light. So therefore, if we are children of light, Paul said that's how we should walk. In light, not in darkness. In light, not in corners, not in uh, basements, not in uh, the wickedness of the world, not even in the wickedness that has found its way into the church, but we should be light in everything that we do. Light, not darkness. Verse 16 is the verse that has my attention and I'm looking at this phrase this morning, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. Our commitment 
should be such that we have a desire in our hearts to redeem the time that we have. Looking at that verse, tying back into last week's message about committing ourselves, knowing he will keep that which has been committed to him. Uh, looking further, I want to look into those things that we say we have committed and how we are using our time in that commitment to Christ. We would all say this morning, if I said, would you raise your hand if you are committed to Christ? Every professing believer this morning would say, and we would do that simply because we have asked the Lord to save us, and our mind says, that's it. I've asked God to save me. I've trusted in Him as my Redeemer, and I'm saved, and yes, I have made a commitment to Christ. I am looking this morning to go beyond the initial salvation commitment, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think in your mind, beyond my salvation experience, am I committed to Christ enough to where my time is spent more on Him than anything else. That my mind is focused on Him in every situation. I know, I know immediately the answer is no. It's not. Not 100% of the time is our mind focused on Christ in every situation. The challenge this morning is to understand uh, the time that has been given uh, to you and I and understanding uh, there is an allotment of time that's been given to you and I. An allotment. The phrase is very serious. It is a very serious commandment. It is very serious instruction that is given to the church at Ephesus through the Apostle Paul. And as we look at the instruction, a phrase that uh, calls their minds to the shortness of their life. They begin to understand what Paul is saying to them. Understanding that life is just a little while. And it urges them that we should be walking and working for Christ. Now, before our minds get too crazy listening to what I'm saying, I'm not talking about selling your house and running out on top of a hill and looking to the sky every day uh, for Jesus to come. I'm not talking about that. God has giving, uh, given us a thing called common sense. Amen. We ought to understand that. We can look for Jesus without selling everything we own and being hobos. Amen. We can do that. And Christ has given us that urge. James said this, and here's, here's the emphasis of what I want you to see this morning in your commitment to Christ. Sometimes our commitment makes it look as if we think we've got an entire lifetime to recommit. Well, I'm going to slack a little today. I've always got tomorrow. It's not what James said. James said, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. 
For what is your life? James said it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanisheth away. It's here for a short season and then it's gone. And, and getting ahead of myself, I want to say uh, that the word uh, time that is used in our text is not referencing that clock on the wall. It is not talking about minute by minute, hour by hour. It is talking about redeeming the allotted season of your life using what God has given you in these moments, these years uh, that he's given you uh, to honor and glorify him the best way you can. Redeem it the best way you can redeem it. Now listen, I was talking to someone yesterday and I said, it's okay to laugh, to have fun, to experience joys in your heart that comes from family, that comes from uh, just the everyday normalcy of life. It's okay. But somehow, somewhere in the back of our mind ought to be do everything that I do to the glory of God. Make sure that everything that I do will glorify Him. Make sure that every word that I say will glorify and honor the Lord. Make sure that what I'm doing and attempting to do is not bringing reproach upon Him. Make sure that my life is glorifying, not tearing down. Not tearing down. Many times the things that we do and say, the way that we walk, the way that we live, sometimes even the work that we do is doing nothing more than trampling the blood of Jesus under our feet as we claim to be one way and we live another. We claim to be committed to Christ, but yet our lives show that we're more committed to our job than we are to an eternal Savior. Our lives show we're more committed to the things of the world than they are eternal things. Our lives oftentimes display a very different story than our mouth is telling. A very different story. Psalm chapter 90 and verse number 10 says the days of our years are therefore three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet it is the strength, labor, and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. How many is above 70 in here? We've got quite a few that the Lord has blessed. But even at that, I remember Brother Ralph Gregory's funeral. How old was he, Miss Marie? 96. 96. Spoke with Miss Velma Hampton last week. 96 as well. And uh, here's what Miss Velma said. And she's probably listening. She said, I don't know why they call me a shut-in. I ain't shut-in. She still has her mind. She still has a desire to go and to move and to do. And uh, she still has those abilities. And even to us, 96 seems like a long time. That is a lot of years to live. It's still just a vapor. These that raised their hand and said they were above 70, guaranteed they'd say, man, it just seems like yesterday. You hear them say it all? Man, it just, I can see it plain as day. Just feels like yesterday 
when I first got saved and when I first started serving the Lord. Feels like yesterday when my kids got married and my first grandbaby was born. Feels like yesterday that I met my husband or met my wife. Feels like it was just yesterday. Why is that? It's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. It's here for a little season and then it's gone. But we live like we've got 10,000 years on this earth. We we set our tent pegs deep and, and we invest in, in things that are temporary and we live as if we're going to be here forever. But yet just a little vapor, that fog that's settled in the valley in the morning, but by the afternoon it's gone. And no longer can you see it. So thick you had to pull over on the shoulder of the road because you couldn't even see to drive and you were afraid how you were going to be in some kind of accident. But when you come back through that same area, an hour later it's gone and it's clear as day and there's no worry in your heart because that vapor is just there for a season, for a time. Job in the Old Testament, oldest book in the Bible, he said, a man that is born of woman just a few days and full of trouble. Just a few days. When Job was writing, they were still living to be 600 years old. When Job was writing, they were living hundreds of years. And Job said, we've just got a few days. They're full of trouble. Just a season that God has given us. Now listen, I'm, I'm going to, I can't, I can't tell you where my mind is and where my heart is. You'd either believe it or you wouldn't believe it. But the reality is I look at the world and I watch the things the world is doing. I see the expressions on their face while they're sinning. I see the joy that's in their hearts while they're committing ungodly acts. I see those things and I think, dear God, we've got just a short time and these people are living it up for the devil. don't care. Now listen, I, I'm, I'm as much, you know this about me, I am a sports fanatic. I love ball of any kind. I, I'll play it with you if I don't know how to play it. I'll tell you that I know how to play it and I'll do everything I can to beat you. That's, that's who I am. I won't let on like I'm, like I'm weak in some area of sporting stuff. I like it. But our time is short. Where are we going to spend it? Where are we going to spend it? I like to play ball and I'll play tomorrow. I like to play golf and I'll play when I can play. It's a short time. And if we're spending, listen, here's what, I, I don't want to get to meddling, I don't want to get ugly, and I don't want to get in that mindset of just meanness, but the reality is we are missing the things of God. We are missing church for things that do not matter. We are going here and we're going yonder, and we're not redeeming the time that God has given to us. We're making poor use of the valuable minutes we have been given. Poor use. The word redeeming that is in this text is not the same redeem that I talk about so often when I say that it's been bought off of the marketplace never to be put up for sale again. The idea is almost completely opposite. It is to redeem something by buying it 
a slave in particular in those days, they would buy a slave with the intent of setting it free. They were redeemed. They have been bought and paid for, and by all legal rights, the owner could say, you'll now work for me, you'll now live with me, you'll do what I tell you to do, you'll labor for me. But the owner, the master, did not buy that slave with the intent of keeping it, but rather setting it free and giving that person liberty. Here's, here's how it rolls in to what we're preaching this morning. Redeeming the time is to take as much of it as you can and give it all back to him. Take as much of your 24-hour time period and let it go for the cause of Christ. Redeem it up, buy it up, hoard it up, schedule as much time as you can for the Lord and then give it back to him. Here's our day. It's our day. It's the time we live in. I don't understand it. I call it a fast food culture. We want everything we have right now. I joking the other day. Heard somebody say, when you want it done? Uh, yesterday, he said, no, last week. We need it that way. That's how, that's how he works. We've got, we've got little Johnny's soccer practice. We've got, uh, we've got dance class. We've got uh, this over there. And oh yeah, church is in there somewhere. And we've got to go for this meeting, this appointment. Got to buy groceries. Got a Christmas shop. I've got to get the turkey for all of these things. Got all this stuff to do. And we're scheduling as much time as we can for us. We don't have any problem finding time. We're just having trouble taking that time and applying it to the right places. Applying it like we should. Did you know, I'm going to drop a bombshell on you, you probably won't even believe it when I tell you. Did you know that there is just as much time in a day right now as there always has been? Brother Gary and I about the same age, Brother Jimmy, just a little bit older, he ain't much older. But here's what I would say when I look at him. Don't y'all remember a time when we had more time? Don't you remember a time when we just had more time? We've got the same time we've always had. We're just not redeeming it. We're not pulling it together with the purpose of giving it back. To him, we're pulling it together and filling it with things that will not matter when we stand before God. They will not matter. Do you know that most people have time to talk with their coworkers about who won the game last night? Hey, for those of you that follow sports, wasn't it a shocker that the Dallas Cowboys beat the New Orleans Saints? Not for Miss Amy or Brother John Birch over there or anybody else that might be a Cowboy fan, believers to the end. But for those of us that follow it enough to know that Drew Brees at 38 years old, I think it is, is playing like he's 25. And I mean, putting up astronomical numbers and looks like, a, uh, looks like maybe the best quarterback to ever play the game. It was a shock. And guess what? Most of us had time to talk about that grand event. I believe that happened on Thursday night football. Is that right? Yeah, Thursday night football happened. I forgot, Brother Rob's a Cowboy fan too. Happened on that Thursday night. Yeah, we're praying for y'all. But the reality is this. 
we found time to talk about those things. Found time to talk about those things. John chapter number three has been gripping my heart. I mean, gripping my heart. And I feel like, I feel like, now some of y'all would talk to me about it all day long. Some of you would. But I feel like there's some people that if I want to talk to them about John chapter number three, the same way I talk to them about Dallas beating New Orleans, I wouldn't get the same length of their time. As a matter of fact, I've seen it happen many times. If I see a guy that's got on a hat, I'll say, hey, how's your team doing this year? Dana Williams said it this way. You talk to them about things they know to be able to talk to them about things they don't know. So we talk to them, and I'll, they'll say, hey, where are you from? I'll say, I'm over at Landis. I pastor the Landis Baptist Church. Hey, it's good talking to you, brother. We're not talking about things they're interested in anymore. We miss opportunities. We miss places because we've, we've not redeemed our time with the purpose of giving time back to him. Back to him. I've always, for as long as I've pastored, and, and people need you, and they want you to be there, and, they, and I want to be there. But I've often been so busy in a week's time that I wonder when people think I'll have time to study. Or if people even really do that, you know, do people really study? Yes, we have to make sure that that time is there, that, that, that we set aside an available place in our lives to read his word. When we read his word, that is when he is speaking to us. Some people go weeks without ever letting God speak to them. They speak to him with needs and with problems and with cares and with sickness, but they go weeks without letting him speak to them. And if you ask them why they're not reading and praying, well, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. So, preacher, does that really happen? I've been blamed for the spiritual anorexia of more people. And then when I say, preacher, I'm going to go somewhere else. I just don't feel like I'm getting fed here. Well, are you reading your Bible and praying at home? Well, not like I ought to. Well, why are you blaming it on me? I mean, really. I get you for three hours a week. You can't live on three hours a week. You've got to redeem the time. You've got to make sure that you're feeding yourself, that you're drinking from the fountain of living waters. You must make sure that we are redeeming the time that God has allowed us. One of these days you're going to blink and you're going to wake up in heaven and you're going to be accountable for the time that you have wasted for God. We're going to be accountable. How we spend our time. Remember, I'm tying back to our commitment. Where are we? Where is the church of our day? Where are we at? Our time is spent in many places other than His Word. His Word, His house, with His people. His people. Paul talks about that redemption of time. Time equals 
that season of life that we've been given. I've told too many stories this morning, but I'm going to tell this one. Many years ago, it was on my birthday, it was a Sunday. A man named Eddie Laws had passed away, and after church on Sunday morning, I was asked and given the responsibility of preaching Eddie's funeral. He was a veteran. It was a beautiful service. We had, had the military rites, the 21-gun salute, the, the playing of taps, all of those things. And, and as we got in the car to leave the graveside, my phone rang. By this time, it was probably 3 in the afternoon, only three hours left till church time. My phone rang, and it was a lady that went to our church that her brother was in the hospital, her brother's wife was in the hospital uh, delivering twins. And uh, the call said, preacher, we need you to come to the hospital. They can't find the heartbeat on one of the babies. And uh, they're going to have to take her in and do immediate surgery to get the babies to deliver the babies right now. Please come. I walked into the hospital. Daddy come and grab me. And he said, uh, he said, how am I supposed to be happy and sad at the same time? I said, I don't have an answer for that question. In just a few moments, it was already known and determined, but in just a few moments, the word came out that the one, sure enough, had died while the other one lived. Previously that day, I had been at the graveside with an 80-some-year-old man, and later noon, I was at the hospital with a baby that never opened its eyes and never saw life as we know it. I went to the cemetery where they were burying the child, and as I do every cemetery, they asked me to lead, uh, lead the casket to the, to the graveside, and as I was waiting for the casket to come, I turned to look, and instead of seeing six men behind me carrying a six-foot-long box, I saw one man carrying a box in the palms of his hands. And my heart broke. And I watched a mother carry the belongings of that baby in a lockbox everywhere she went for two, three years. She carried a, a nightgown and she carried a pillow and she carried everything she could take of that baby. She carried it to the other boy's birthday party and celebrated their birthdays together. Absolutely crushed a mother as you can only expect. Here's the point of the story. You may have 85 years allotted to you, or you could have the rest of this day, and that's it. The Bible said this, it is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. Y'all heard my mother-in-law, she, she may not remember my name when I see her. But you know what I know? She remembers it is appointed unto man once to die. Did you know, did you know that you have no control over when you die? None whatsoever. You know who has control over that? The sovereign God of heaven. How many of you got to pick your birthday? You know why? Because according to the scriptures, when Abraham begot Isaac in the Old Testament, the angels told Sarah, I will be back at the appointed time of life. Your time on earth has been prepared specially for you. God knew when you was coming in. 
God knows when you're heading out. Here's the disadvantage of that. You don't know. God made you. He gave you life. If you have health, God gave you health. If you don't have health, God gave you that with a specific purpose in mind for you to use that for his glory. Miss Rose wheels that motorcycle of hers around, tells everybody she sees about Jesus, brags on him. God's purpose. If I can look at Miss Rose, is it right for me to ask you, Miss Rose, how old you are now? I know you're not supposed to ask women that. Okay, 39 and holding for a few more years. 92 years old. 92 years old. And still is using her time for the Lord. 92 years old. Wheels down there to the Billy Graham Library and sits and tells those stories and sings the songs of Zion and prays with people that need to be prayed with. What are we doing? What are we doing? Today, thousands upon thousands of people will fill football stadiums and will worship their God. They will shout to the praise of their team. Woo! And people say we're foolish for doing it in here. They will spend countless dollars to buy alcohol, soda, popcorn, hot dogs. They will spend money on their God. They will buy clothes that represent their God and who they love. And they will worship. They'll jump to their feet when something exciting happens. And they will sit down with their hands over their face when something bad happens. Just like what we do in here. But they have made time. They have made money for the intent of giving to that event. They have allowed their emotions to work with them while they worship. They have allowed those. They would not tell you they're worshiping, but they are. And listen, as, as bad as I hate to say this, some of y'all get uncomfortable when it gets loud in here and when people raise their hands in here, but you're worshiping your team too. And, and I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm trying to open our eyes this morning as to what we're doing with our time and with our commitment to God. It is real. It is real. We're committed to things. We buy up time for other things, but we have no time for the godly things. Paul said, church, you better buy up the time. Your day could end, your life could end today. Today.
My papa was 56 years old when he left this life. There's not hardly a day goes by in my life that I don't think and wonder, will I make it that long? Will I live as long as he did? Will I live longer? It's my family history. He died an early death. Well, we say an early death. I heard one preacher say this week, you will not die one millisecond too soon, nor will you die one millisecond too late. You will die at your appointed. Do you know when it is? Even someone that would choose the way of death by taking their own life really can't choose that. I remember many years ago, many years ago, selling insurance, and Willie will remember this, in Johnson City, we went to a guy's house that had tried to commit suicide. He put a shotgun to his face and pulled the trigger. The result was he lived. And we would go see him for insurance purposes, and he always had a towel around his neck to catch the stuff that was coming off of his face. And the skin on his face was pulled smooth. I can see it in my mind right now. Pulled smooth from all of those reconstructive surgeries. He thought surely he could take his life. Now listen, I'm not condoning suicide. I'm not condoning or, or any of those things. I'm not telling you people uh, how all that ends with people. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. Amen? But what I will tell you, if somebody dies from taking their own life, it wasn't really them that took it. It was the God of heaven. That's his control. That's his power. Nobody else's. It's appointed unto man wants to die. Friend, listen, I do not know. One of, the, one of the shocks of my year was the day I got a call about Joseph Brown. Floored me. Floored me. Our mind says he's too young. God said that's right when I want him. Right now, that's his time. I remember talked about Mr. Page. He died at, I think he was 103 or 4. Still telling people about Jesus. God said, Mr. Page, it's time. Time. You don't have time for him now. But I promise you when the time comes, you'll go. I've stood by the bedside of a whole lot of people watched them die and I've stood by their bedside when hospice was saying probably just a few hours and I'd go back two weeks later <laughs> and they're still there I, listen I was I was standing there with Wayne not too many days ago when they said it'll just be a matter of time just a short time I was there I, listen I was there when they said he probably won't make it to his birthday Wayne partied in his birthday this year. And he's still down there. Why? Because that is not in the hands of man. Your life is not in the hands of man. And it could end just like that. What are we doing for God? If we say we're really committed to Him, are we, are we taking our time to make sure that we're giving back to Him? Every one of us in here would say this or say amen to it anyway. 
He's been so good to me. We're singing the song. The Lord has been so good to me. And I started watching hands. He's been so... Now, how much have we given back? He didn't give to us expecting us to give back. But he certainly saved us with a purpose. With a purpose. Time. Time. I don't know. I have noticed in the way Hollywood does things. Somebody's been given a limit to pay a ransom to rescue someone who's been kidnapped. They'll turn the hourglass upside down. Say, you've got this much time. You want to see them alive again? You'll do what I'm asking you. Guess what happens? People get frantic about making sure they meet the needs in the time that they've been allotted. Why aren't we frantic? The world is going to hell around us. The church as a whole needs the word of God again. The word revival has almost become a term that scares me the way it's being used and tossed around and, and thrown about so loosely. We need the word of God to penetrate our hearts, to open our minds to one more time, desire him like what he longs for us to. But in order to do that, we're going to have to take time. Take time. Sometimes my day puts me and my wife listening to a preaching message together at 1 a.m. Sometimes we talk to church people about the things of God at 12, 1. It has even been 2 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because those things are important to us. And if we've not done it through the day, at some point we must take time. Preacher, I would never do that. Could never do that. You can do and you will do what you want to do. This morning the challenge is simple. Are we redeeming our time? Let's stand to our feet. Invitations have been given, the altar's open.